Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Movie Season. Today we're going to be talking about John Hughes and the different movies that he's made, specifically with the high school genre. So, Justin, I know that John Hughes is a real big um, influence on you, so can you go ahead and just talk a little bit about what you like about John Hughes and kind of how he differs from from other directors? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that any time you talk about you know, when you talk about high school movies, the genre, you know, he, in my opinion, he kind of created the genre of high school movies. Not saying that there wasn't high school movies that came before John Hughes, but he popularized it and mainstreamed it so much to where it wasn't just raunchy comedies. It wasn't just this or that. It was uh, you, the, the high school characters were really three dimensional and had a lot of layers to them. And um, just from a director standpoint, like he directs one of my, you know, some of my favorite movies of all time. I think that he was able to capture, which is hard to do uh, as you get older, you can still capture the way that high schoolers talk. And when you watch these movies back, you know, some of the scenes, you know, some of the things they're saying, you know, is kind of 80s and like kind of went with the time. But each movie, the high school kids still taught as high school kids, but they acted as if they were more, um, they weren't just thinking about sex the whole time. And I think that that was the biggest change for me was like, when we were watching these movies, you really could relate to a lot of these characters. You could really relate to the storylines and the storylines stuck to mainly what the kids were going through and didn't distract from it with any type of huge, overarching plot device or anything like that. It was really just kind of staying with those characters and those movies were really character based, which I really liked. Well, and you start thinking about some of the movies he's made, especially, you know, the first one that comes to mind is breakfast club. I mean, what a simple plot for a movie, you know, kids are going to Saturday school detention. They've got to waste this time and go, you know, like it's, and like you said, it, it didn't try to be anything like out of the ordinary or anything more than what it was, but it just did that amazingly. Yeah. And I, and I think the thing that really holds up is again, w w when, when you're talking about movies that kind of hold up 10, 20, 30 years later, it can usually go back to how the movies make you feel. And those movies kind of take you back to high school. It kind of takes you back to the things you were really focused on in high school. And they didn't play it up for laughs. They didn't play it up for like, um, you know, any type of like, hey, man, these guys just want to get laid or this. Uh, they just want to get a good test on, you know, a good score on a test. You know, it was more complex of like dealing with the day to day stuff. And I think that that's what that that it captured really well was relationships was. You know, at the time in high school, you know, a lot of all that emotion and stuff, um, you're kind of growing up, you're kind of trying to figure out who you are and stuff. And I think that he does probably the best job of any director of this genre of like giving the high school characters more to do than just what you've seen in other high school movies. So like they had, like I said before, it was like three dimensional characters, you know, Breakfast Club in particular starts out by playing on the whole you know, the whole um, stereotypes of who these people are. And then as you learn more about them, you know, it's not as simple as that. And so that's what I really liked. I think that he had a really good skill for not only casting great ensembles, but also making the high school movie feel like 
a good movie and not just something that high schoolers were going to go see and enjoy, but something that, you know, that the public would really enjoy. He was a really good um, marketer of his movies. Yeah. And, um, we'll, and we'll touch base on, on all of these movies at some point, but, um, I do think that probably more than anybody he's recognized, kind of like you said, like he's recognized as the voice for these kinds of movies. And then, and then, I think even to this day, movies that come out that are set in high school or adolescence, they try to emulate these these things that he was doing, you know, thirty years ago. It's kind of like when um, when Spider Man Homecoming came out, and they were talking about the tone and what they were trying to do with it, and the guy said, "I you know I want it to feel like a John Hughes movie," you know, and this is a movie that's a superhero movie coming out 30 years after most of these movies have come out. I mean, that just shows you kind of the impact he's had. Yeah. And I mean, his name is synonymous. Like, you know, you, you only had, there's only a, a handful of directors in my opinion that when you say their names, they say, we're trying to make fill in the blank type of movie. And there's not many. And when you say we're trying to make a John Hughes movie, to me that says we're trying to make these characters like living, breathing characters, not just like just your, you know, stock characters. We're trying to make it to where you feel like you're hanging out with high school kids or you feel like you're watching true high school kids communicate. And again, you know, looking back, you know, you, you know, you hear the complaints all the time uh, that the cast, you know, the, the high school kids in these movies from the eighties were like too old to play the part. And it's like, you know, it's whatever, you know, that that's a, legitimate thing i guess but um you know just like with any movie i mean if you suspend your disbelief a little bit and just watch it for what it is i think that you know again if you look for kind of issues like that you're going to find them but the thing i liked was that i think he realized that the kids weren't going to just talk like everyday high schoolers he kind of he he knew it was a movie and he kind of made some of the dialogue kind of more adult just to kind of you know as a way for me to like show that you know, kids can also have deeper thoughts than you think or deeper feelings or deeper conversations than just what they're going to have for lunch that day or what they're going to get into after school. Yeah. So let's go ahead and get started on um, – we'll, we'll just kind of break this down into different segments of uh, themes and, you know, different aspects of these movies, and then we'll talk about how they're similar or whatever. Um, so let's, let's first talk about, um, something that's real big in most of John Hughes movies are like the soundtrack and how each movie kind of has at least one, um, song that it's kind of known for. So, you know, breakfast club, it's got, don't you forget about me. Um, pretty in pink. If you leave, it's actually got a, a pretty in pink, I think is another song that's on that. That was obvious. I, I'm assuming it, it was made for that movie, but I don't know that for sure. Um, and then, uh, you know, weird science has the weird science song. And then, um, Ferris Bueller with the, Oh yeah. You know, the day bow bow. Mm -hmm. So, I, I I just think that he that is such a big part of those movies that and it shows how big um, music can be in movies and how important they can be because 
almost all of those songs, like as soon as you hear them, you know immediately what it, I mean, it brings you back to those movies instantly. And um, I just, like you said earlier, I think he's just such a good, um, like he, he just really knows what kind of tone he's going for. And he knows exactly what fits with what he's trying to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I think that with the music in particular, it's like, you know, we see a lot of times, you know, and, and um, I won't, you know, name specific movies just because it's a problem that I see with a lot of movies, but you can overdo music in movies. Mm-hmm. You can play too much music to where it, it loses its meaning. But if you can think back on a song and you think of a scene that's going on during that time, um, you know, just to get kind of into like a deep cut, you know, one of my favorite uses of music that he does in these movies is two that kind of stick out to me, which is I really loved in Ferris Bueller, where they finally picked up Sloan and they're going to drive out to the city and they're playing that big city song or whatever. And mm-hmm. I don't know the artist, but it's just a great transitional moment of like, you know, you just dealt with kind of like a stressful moment. They're trying to get Sloan into the car without giving away that that's not really her dad. And then as soon as they get in the car, it's like, that's when the fun begins. It's almost like a shift to the next act of the movie. And same with uh, Some Kind of Wonderful. I really like the song that's playing. They even have the band there performing. I don't know if it's the legit band. I would assume it is. Um, but I think it's like uh, the song's called like Touch the Sky or something. It's in that bar where uh, Watts and, um, you know, Watts and uh, Eric Stoltz, I just can't think of the character's name, are talking and just stuff like that where it's like kind of in the background of a scene it's not like it's not this quick 10 second uh song and then cuts to another song or like if a character shows up they play this song so many movies overdo the soundtracks to where it becomes very distracting and it's almost like why is that song even in this movie but he he did a really good job of using that as almost a mood shift or almost a scene transition or an act transition and i think that he doesn't get enough credit for how he used music to do that well and i think sometimes directors they try to like they'll have a song in their head of like what they want to add into the movie so they'll put a scene into the movie that will allow them to put this i mean you know what i mean like it just kind of seems like it's force-fed you know and like you said They'll have someone come in, they'll play a five second clip of a song, and then 30 seconds later, they're doing the same thing, but with something else. And yeah. it can be very, um, and a lot of the high school movies do that. Like a lot of the newer ones, um, not the newer ones, but like the ones in the 90s, you know, I, when I rewatched uh, 10 Things I Hate About You, I kind of noticed that they did that a little bit. Not not to the extreme of some other ones, but, but yeah. I, it can definitely be a problem if, if you overdo it. And I think he, he finds a really good balance. Yeah. And I mean, and part of, you know, part of any great high school movie, you know, you have like the high school checklist soundtracks are big because that is kind of a way to, um, it, it's kind of a way to kind of bring the audience more into it. Like, you know, it, it helps with like, if you're sitting there watching a movie, you're feeling a little bit, you know, maybe that scene didn't work or like something. It's a way to kind of like you hear a song you really like or you hear a popular song on the radio or hear something that you're familiar with. It's a way to get you more invested into the movie. And that's what I really liked about his use of music. I mean, even, you know, the biggest one, even um, in Pretty in Pink with Otis Redding, you know, that's a that completely 
was part of like one of the most memorable scenes of the movie. So now every time you hear that song, you think of that scene with Ducky at the record store. So, mm-hmm. um, again, you know, without repeating myself too much, I think that that was one of the, uh, another one of his great, uh, skills was that to play music that he thought fit the movie, not just picking songs that he maybe enjoyed. Right. Um, another big thing that is prevalent in these movies are the villains. So, and I think now obviously with movies like some kind of wonderful, um, and, uh, pretty in pink, like those villains are kind of hard to, um, empathize with, you know what I mean? Cause their motives are just so like shitty. Um, but you know, for instance, like, uh, Vernon and, uh, breakfast club, like, here's a guy that, you know, is a, is a teacher. He, he sees these kids every year. They're getting more and more kind of, uh, disrespectful in his eyes. So there are things where you kind of, you understand his point of view. You know what I mean? Like he takes it to an extreme, but you understand kind of his frustrations. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of like with, uh, you know, with any of these movies, again, the, the villain, I mean, to serve the plot. Yeah. They're the villain of the, of the story or whatever, but even, even with like pretty in pink and even with like what, what I like is it kind of shifts, it kind of shifts. Uh, it's not just about like guy gets girl, whatever that that's kind of what, when you're watching some kind of wonderful, which when you're watching pretty in pink, you, you know, you, you haven't seen it in a while. You're thinking, Oh, that movie's kind of about this. It's really about a lot of other things too. And it deals with a lot of like class, you know, uh, class, you know, like not, you know, feeling like you're accepted by maybe people that have more money or, you know, and stuff like that. So I liked how they used the villain as a way to kind of like, you know, if you want to call it that kind of show kind of, again, dive into more deeper stuff than you normally see, like in a high school movie. And it's kind of why I think it's really re uh, rewatchable, but some of these villains are great. I mean, to me, the, uh, you know, you can kind of just pick who you think's the best. I mean, out of the, you know, Vernon's probably my favorite just because, like you said, he he's kind of there to do a job. And he really has no other purpose. Like, he, it's just his way of, like, having that control, you know. But that was probably my favorite because during the entire movie, and then Ferris Bueller with The Principal, like, those are two movies that were you're, they're actively trying to, uh, kind of get away from somebody or kind of do stuff where they're not seeing it. So I think that really worked really well. And then with the other ones, I think that it worked really well because it kind of stayed more with the relationships and stuff like that. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, with Vernon and Rooney are kind of, to me, Rooney is more of a comedic and more kind of a, almost like a, cartooned version of Vernon a little bit, you know, not like maybe not cartoon, but you know what I mean? Like he's more of like a, uh, embellished Vernon, like he, like the certain things that he does is kind of where Vernon is for the most part, always kind of the same tone, the same thing. And, uh, and we'll get to this later in, in the favorite scenes, but you know, some of the favorite scenes in the movie are, are with Vernon in it. And that's because he's always he's always trying to keep the upper hand, even when you know that like he doesn't, 
and just that dynamic is if it's not done right, it, it can be it can make you hate Vernon, whereas you kind of you understand him, and I don't, I'm not sure if you respect him, but but you understand where he's coming from. Yeah, and I mean with Vernon, it's you know it's it, it's a great performance, and it's one that is difficult to pull off because um, it it dives a little deeper, it gets a little bit more sinister as the movie goes on. You know, especially the scene with him and Bender in the closet. You know, I mean that's that's terrifying stuff. You know, and I mean he played it very well to where he never felt to the audience like. He was out to just get the kids. He was out to just like harm the kids, you know, district. Like it was always about the, the illusion of control and him wanting to have, like, like you said, the upper hand, him not wanting to be disrespected. And you could see how that would be, you know, cause I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Bender's a prick, you know, I mean, he, yeah. he's, we root for him, but he's a prick, you know, and, uh, Vernon, is a prick too. So it, it's almost like this control thing of the whole Saturday detention. And then with Rooney, like you said, Rooney kind of played it. I love how they each kind of fit the tone of the movie Yeah, where both are comedies, but Rooney kind of fits more the Ferris Bueller. I mean, the Ferris Bueller is a little bit more heightened of a movie, a little bit more self-aware of what it is. And breakfast club plays it more straight, more like just a day in the life type of plot. And I liked how, both of the actors really performed that role really well to where you didn't want them to succeed, but it was so much fun watching them try to succeed. So that was really cool. Yeah. So let's get into um, some of our favorite scenes. So we'll just, we'll go down the list of, of the different movies and we can just talk about, and we've kind of touched on a few of them already, but um, let's go ahead and since we're, since we're already talking about it, let's, let's go ahead and stay with breakfast club and we'll, um, I'll go ahead and start. Like you said, the, when Vernon confronts Bender in the, in the closet or whatever. And, you know, when I was a kid and I first watched this, it didn't, you know, I was thinking to myself, like, why didn't Bender just hit him? You know? And then as I got older, it, it dawned on me that like, that's a grown man wanting like threatening you and and you're still a kid like you know i mean bender acts tough and does all this stuff and you know you find out later on or you find out in the movie you know that he hasn't had the best um life or whatever but you know that's terrifying you know to have a grown man where no one can really help you and he's sitting there basically you know gonna gonna mess you up if you do, you know, and it's just kind of one of those things, and Judd Nelson does such a great job of, you can tell what the, like, fear that he has, you know, and I, I just think that's a great scene because it it shows Vernon's frustration meeting a boiling point, and it also shows that, like, while Bender was kind of this, um, you know, this bad boy the whole time that, you know, he's still a kid. And there, there is a difference when, when it's a kid versus a, a grown man. Yeah. And I think that that movie it's, it's at its best when it's being less um, on the nose, you know, or less um, in your face, because again, a lot of people love, and I, again, it's a great scene, but a lot of people love the scene where they're all kind of discussing why they're in detention. And that's a great scene, but um, I prefer it to where it's the only issue I really have. Well, that and the uh, Emilio Estevez shattering the glass um, with his voice. But uh, those two things, I kind of, 
were my least favorite parts of the movie in a weird way because I really liked it better when you got subtle hints as to what the characters were going through. So like Bender giving his speech about how his home life was. That was really effective. That's one of the better parts of the movie for me is after he does that and he goes up into the to the rafters or whatever. Um, and just little comments like that, little moments of like, you know, um, you know, uh, Andrew, uh, taking out all that stuff he was eating for lunch, you know, like it, it, it just gave you little hints of like, he's not even packing his lunch. Like this is something that his dad's packing for him. You know, this is like a lunch that like, he says, man, you got to keep eating your meals if you want to stay strong. That's the vibe I got, you know? And then you saw, um, you know, you saw Ali Sheedy's character, you know, she, she didn't want, uh, you could tell that she packed her lunch and that nobody even gave a, gave a shit if she had a lunch or not. So well, she shouldn't even stuff. be there, but that's what I'm saying. But you didn't know that at the time. <laughs> yeah. You didn't know that at the time. And just the, the, just the scenes of them getting to school. Uh, the opening scene is one of my favorites where they're just getting there because before you even hear any dialogue or before you hear, even hear them interact with one another, you kind of get a vibe of what they're dealing with at home. I mean, Bender's walking to school, um, you know, uh, you, you already hear the conversations about, okay, well, you know, uh, he, you know, Brian's got a very strict, he's got to get good grades. That's his key. You know, uh, saw it with Andrew with his dad. So those scenes right there are the ones that are my favorite. If I had to pinpoint a favorite, if I had to like pick one, I really like the Bender monologue where you kind of, you go into like why he, uh, how his home life is and stuff. I, I, I performed that in like a theater class or whatever. And it's just, again, still holds up today. Like that's just a great written part. Yeah. And, uh, you touched on a little bit, but I really like the, the, why, why are you here, uh, discussion that they all have, you know, and they're talking about, I think that's probably my favorite scene just because it kind of shows that all these kids, even, you know, Claire or Andrew who look like they have, you know, they're popular, they're, they're good at sports or whatever they have issues too, you know, and, and just the, the kids that have what we would consider a good home life doesn't mean that everything's perfect and that they don't have um, issues or problems that they're going through just like everyone else. You know, even Brian, you know, Brian, like you said, his mom tells him um, that you're there to study or something like that, you know, to, to that effect. So uh, I, I just, again, I, I think it, just having the different characters and how they all have common ground and that they, they have issues and they have problems and they're more alike than they think, you know? Yeah. And then having, you know, finding the comedy and, and a lot of the uh, more tense scenes is always really well done yeah. too. You know, just the part where he's getting Bender's getting detention after detention. He won't back down. Vernon's not backing down. And just the way they're delivering the lines, it, it, it's it's funny, it's uncomfortable, it's tense, and and those are the scenes that really work with that movie that I really like, you know. And even the scene where they're running through the school, I mean, that's a scene that probably, for me, I probably remember the most is just how good that was. You had, you know, everything in that scene, everything that made that movie great in that one scene. So, um, you know, we could go on and on about Breakfast Club. I mean, that's one of the great high school movies. It's probably considered the essential high school movie. Yeah. Um, I want to touch on one more thing and then we'll go to the next movie. But um, the part where Andrew is talking about why he's there and he's talking about 
hazing this kid, and then it starts off as like a joke, like everybody's kind of laughing about it, you know. And then the more he's talking and he's getting upset, you know, because he's talking about, you know, I was thinking about this this kid having to go home to his dad and tell his dad what happened, you know. And mm-hmm. it, it's just such a good, like, switch of tone on almost like a pin drop that a lot of times doesn't work. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they, they just pulled off so well in that movie. So, um so let's go on to uh, a movie that me and you both really like. I know that I think kind of goes under the radar when you talk about, especially like high school um, romance movies and stuff like that is uh, some kind of wonderful. So um, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is where um, who's played by Eric Stoltz is telling his dad what he wants. Like his dad, they've been saving this money. He's been working in this garage or whatever to save money for college. And his dad the whole time is telling him, Hey, you need to start picking out colleges, blah, blah, blah. And then he, um, he finds out that Keith took the money out and he's kind of, you know, jumping his ass about it. And Keith's like, look, man, that's not what I wanted to do. You know, like that was what you wanted. And he just kind of goes in this whole thing of, you know, like that was my money. I earned it. I should be able to decide what happens with it. You know? And it's just one of those great, like, independence uh, type moments for a kid, you know, is, is, you know, your dad's been telling you, and you know, his dad cares about him. He wants him to do, you know, do well, but at the same time, you know, you should have some kind of say in what your, your life turns out to be. Yeah. And I like how the, uh, with some kind of wonderful, the parents took on more of a, uh, some kind of wonderful, even the dad and pretty and pink and some of these other ones, like, you know, in breakfast club, you, you just got a little glimpse of the parents and, and, you know, uh, they're more of an active participant in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's makes it more, again, more well-rounded, more, um, more interesting for the audience. You know, I mean, just picking a favorite scene of that movie, I already alluded to it earlier. I really like the scene where, uh, Watson Keith are at the bar kind of talking, you know, that's just a really good uh, scene for me. And then I really like the party scene towards the climax of the movie. Um, I like any time that any of those characters can get together and, you know, you finally got all the characters kind of coming together on, in, on the screen at the same time. Um, but that to me, I prefer, I've always said, I've, I've, I've always preferred uh, some kind of wonderful to pretty in pink, just because I do think that the, um, you know, Amanda Jones to me was a way better written character than um, uh, Andrew McCarthy's character in Pretty in Pink. Like Andrew McCarthy, uh, Blaine or whatever, like he was always supposed to be like this guy that like you, you know, uh, she was falling in love with the whole time. I, I never felt like he was super interesting in that movie. And Amanda Jones was interesting to me. Like, yeah, she kind of had to fit like this... Uh, this whole thing to kind of fit in, but the more you, you know, the, the moments that they had, especially when they're on their date and stuff and you found out more about her and stuff, she, she was kind of somebody you rooted for as well. She wasn't just used as like, you got to see kind of stuff that she was going through. And I felt like with Blaine and pretty and pink, he, he was, I don't know. He just didn't interest me as much. And so yeah. that was, kind I, I know of what the you whole, mean. Yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Keep going. No, I was just saying that that's that to me is why I kind of prefer that movie is I think the the love triangle, so to speak, um, to me is is better done. I mean, this is how John Hughes wanted um, Pretty in Pink to end. 
And um, with what's funny is like you really wanted her with Ducky at the end of Pretty and Pink. That didn't happen on this one. He ends up with Watts, which which you want, but you could also understand like, man, that's a tough decision because like you know Amanda Jones like became more than just a pretty face in that movie. She was really well uh, well written character, and I just think after even rewatching it now, that one to me holds up very well. Yeah, and I think kind of like you said. By the this is almost, I mean, the focus of the movie is Keith, obviously, <clears throat> but an argument could be made that this is just as much an Amanda Jones movie as it is with Keith because she has just as much growth, probably more than Keith does in the movie. You know, I mean, she goes from kind of being what everyone wants her to be or expects her to be to, you know, at the end, one of the great, um, one of my favorite lines in that movie, and I'll, I'll probably butcher it, but she says something to the effect of um, she's given the earrings back because she says something like, you bought these for someone else. And then she says, um, it'll be good to be on my own for a while. You know, and, and that just shows kind of how she, like, at first she kind of needed, um, what's I'm trying to think of is uh, uh, Jen's, Hardy Jen's she kind of needed him to kind of solidify her place and, you know, um, and the pecking order. And now she's kind of like, no, like I need to, I need to figure out who I am first. I need to. So I agree. I, I much prefer this movie over pretty in pink. I, I still think pretty in pink's a good movie, but, um, yeah. And well, it deals with, you know, it deals with kind of what he was kind of obsessed with when making the high school movies was a lot of like how you're viewed based on, you know, your class, your, the money you're making, like the clothes you're wearing. He really was kind of tackled that. And cause in the eighties, that was, you know, pretty prevalent in terms of, you know, that's when a lot of that consumerism stuff was going on. So a lot of that kind of played a part in each of his movies. I mean, we don't touch on it a lot because we kind of focus more on the other ones, but like, you know, um, you know, even with his first movie, the 16 candles, that one was more straightforward guy needs to get girl type movie yeah um weird science to me is more of a science fiction it's set in high school but it's more of a science fiction so that's why we choose to focus more on these other ones we're talking about today and then ferris bueller i think was a breath of fresh air because that was a completely that was like him doing 100 percent comedy i mean there's not there's other scenes in there that go a little bit deeper with cameron and stuff but that movie was played as like a as a, like a fun loose comedy and I think that's why that one, you know, but it, it all kind of still dealt with people's expectations, trying to please your parents, trying to, so stuff that really kind of resonates with kids even today. So I think that's why they hold up really well and these scenes hold up. Yeah. Let's, um, let's switch to Ferris Bueller. Um, cause you, you just mentioned that and we'll, we'll talk about some of our favorite scenes from that. So for me, obviously when, uh, Ferris is getting ready, I think that's probably the most, memorable scene maybe because it's been parodied a number of times, you know, uh, just his, you know, him just talking about, you know, his, his routine and how, um, and kind of how he's faking his, his illness, you know, it's just really cool. And then he's talking about like, how can I, you know, how can you expect me to stay in, inside, you know, on the day like today or whatever. And then probably my favorite scene though, is when, um, Cameron, calls the school as pretending to be Sloan's father mm -hmm. and Rooney the whole time is sitting there and he's, you know, he's basically talking shit to him and he's like, yeah, you know, 
I can't remember exactly what Rooney says, but he says something like, um, why don't you come down here and, and uh, kiss my ass or something? And then the his secretary tells him that that really is him. Mm-hmm. And camera just goes into this like tirade of, you know, um, you know, you'll respect me. You'll call, you know, call me, sir. And it, it's just, and it, and when, the whole time that you see Cameron, he's like, kind of like down in the dumps or he's, you know, he's sick at the beginning of the movie. And then it was just great to kind of see that change from him, uh, in that scene. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, you know, yeah, if I had to pick a favorite, it's tough with that one because, you know, there's less, um, I feel like that one does such a great job of just flowing throughout the whole thing. There's less, uh, I mean, there's big set pieces, especially like the, the you know, part where they're at the uh, the um, parade or whatever, but um, just just the, those parts in particular where he's trying to talk Cameron into going, uh, when, they, when they finally get Sloan picked up, and they're kind of, uh, you know, getting on the road for the first time. All those moments I really like. And I think that it does a good job of not overstaying its welcome either. You know, I mean, uh, and then, you know, the part, it kind of changes tone a little bit, especially the part with the, uh, where they're at the, you know, looking at art and stuff. So, like I said, th- there's little, there's more subtle moments in that one where it goes a little bit deeper, goes a little bit deeper into who Cameron is, goes a little bit deeper into, you know, all the different stuff. So, but overall, I think that movie does a really good job of just being a fun, like it kind of puts you in the shoes of like, what would I do on my like Ferris Bueller day? Right. And it's again, not as deep as it's not as deep as some of these other ones, but it's still. Well, has yeah. And I mean, yeah. And I mean, but at the same time, it still deals with those same themes that we talked about of like, you know, Cameron with his parents, you know, I mean, you don't you don't ever see him, but you get to know that different stuff. I mean, Sloan with hers, like um, it still deals with that type of stuff. And it just does it kind of more in a comedic, um, subtle way. But, um, I, again, it, it still just holds because people are still referencing that movie. People are still saying, like, you know, when you're going to play hooky or, you know, skip school, you know, you're automatically thinking about, like, man, how would you spend, like, your Ferris Bueller day, you know? So, right. um, but, yeah, just, just so many different scenes in all these movies. And, again, we're just talking the high school John Hughes movies, but he went on to make some other great films. But um, those are the ones that stick out to me. Yeah, I agree. And like you said, we didn't really cover weird science a lot um, because it's, to me, I don't really consider it a high school movie. I mean, they're in high school, but the most of the movie's not dealing with that kind of stuff. So, um, but another great movie. And then there's other John Hughes movies that I'm sure we'll cover when we start getting towards um, some other uh, themes throughout the show. But but yeah, we wanted to touch uh, touch on John Hughes just because his impact on um on the film industry was huge and you can almost instantly tell when it's a john hughes movie you know like i was looking through the imdb of of his and every movie i saw on there was like yeah i can definitely see that or you know i knew it already but i was i was like it's definitely a john hughes movie so um, yeah, and even, I mean, John Hughes didn't even direct some kind of wonderful, but his fingerprints are all over it. He yeah. wrote it, you know, he he's, it, it's still a John Hughes film and you can tell that. Um, so that's what's interesting. He, he, he wrote a ton of movies. I mean, a ton of great movies. I mean, you know, National Lampoon's Vacation or uh, Crucifixion, you know, um, I believe he even wrote uh, Home Alone, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. He wrote a lot of movies that even though he wasn't behind the camera, he had a huge influence on there for about 10 to 15 years 
he really had a lot of his fingerprints on a lot of these great classic family movies that still hold up and are still cherished today. Yeah, so I mean, he he probably had a he had like a four year stretch where he was just killing it. I mean, he had well more like six years, but sixteen candles, um, vacation, Mister Mom, Breakfast Club. Weird, and I'm just picking out the like main ones. Weird Science, yeah, Pretty in Pink, Uncle Buck, yeah. Ferris Bueller, some kind of wonderful planes. I mean, planes, trains, and automobiles. We'll talk about that one at a later date for sure. But uh, did you say Uncle Buck? Yeah, and again, we're just talking the high school. The impact he just yeah. had on the high school, but it just his impact on the industry alone was huge. But the high school movie one is what really people probably first think of when they hear the name. Exactly. Well. uh Justin, thanks again for taking time to uh, to come on here and talk about John Hughes and his his impact. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Let us know um, what you thought of the episode. What are your favorite John Hughes movies? And uh, we're going to keep this high school thing rolling throughout August, so make sure you check out the rest of that. And I guess that's about it. So thanks, guys, and we'll see you next time.